I want to see the industry also move forward into a different format. I feel like it's a bit antiquated how it is at the moment. So I'll support designers that have a bit of a, a different approach. That's totally fine. And I feel like design, you also, again, you have to experiment and learn what works for you. So I think as long as you communicate and you really like share what you're learning with your key partners, uh, that's totally fine. I would just suggest try to be as transparent as possible in terms of your structure and your plans. If you're showing in a different cadence than everyone else, just explain why, what's your thought process behind it and what's your strategy. And then each retailer will tell you like, oh, this works for us, this doesn't work for us, or maybe we need to work on, on a special capsule to make sure we have product during this time of the year. Uh, but I'm totally up for like different ways of working. Hi, and welcome to the official Laughs podcast. My name is Estefania Lacayo, and along with Samantha Tams, we founded the Latin American Fashion Summit, a global platform for Latin American fashion and design. In our podcast sessions, we aim to bring you enriching and inspiring conversations with designers, entrepreneurs, leaders, activists, and newcomers, and share their powerful stories with you. Thank you for being here. We hope you enjoy the following conversation. Today's special guest is London-based Mexican Fabricio Cardenas, ready-to-wear senior buyer at Nataporte. Fabricio studied marketing communications and media studies at NYU. He started his career as a buyer at Barney's New York and later continued his journey at Bergdorf Goodman. And since 2018, he lives in the UK, working as previously mentioned at Nataporte, the world's premier online luxury fashion destination. Welcome, Fabricio, to the Laughs Podcast. Hi, Stefania. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I've been wanting to have this conversation with you, so I'm happy that we're finally having it. To all of you guys listening to us, Fabricio is, you know, he's become a dear friend and he's a huge supporter of, of the LAFS community. He's He's been to our first summit and he will join us in Miami in March as well. And I'm super happy to have us here because Fabricio is one of those entrepreneurs that um, has had just a successful career in being a buyer and it's extremely challenging and it's, you know, and not that many Latin entrepreneurs have been able to have the titles that he's had. So I'm super happy that he could give us so much information about all of this today. So I usually like to start my podcast, Fabricio, um, you know, where did you go to school? What did you study? Did you always know you wanted to study fashion? Tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah. So I, I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm Mexican. Uh, by birth and I grew up in Mexico and I studied in New York in NYU. Uh, I was very lucky to have the opportunity to go there and I always loved fashion uh, as a kid. I mean very cliche I guess. I was always interested in it and but it was always a world that seemed so far from me like I never really even considered uh, a career there. I really went to school to study marketing and advertising that kind of like was really what I wanted to do. Uh, and when I was in New York, I took many internships um, and it I took some ones in, in marketing and advertising firms, more like consumer products like toothpaste, one with beer uh, in that world. Until finally I got um, an internship in a PR company. Uh, it still exists. It's called PR Consulting. It's one oh, of the best in the world. Um, and it was just such a different world. And from there, I jumped into Barney's where I did an internship as well in PR. Uh, and when I graduated, uh, they basically said, like, there's a position in buying. 
which I thought I was completely unqualified for because, you know, it's it's very numerical. People go to school for it. There's like a whole uh, academia behind it. Um, and I was like, great, I'm game, but I, you have to teach me. I have no clue. And then interviewed with the whole team. And then as they say, the rest of history, I got a job as an assistant buyer. Uh, turns out I learned really quickly and I was good at it. Um, and then from there, I grew um, within Barney's and eventually I moved to Bergdorf Goodman um, and now at Netaporte. But I guess that's a, a quick recap. That's wonderful. It's it's unbelievable um, the importance on on internships, right? I mean, that internship that you did at Peer Consulting, I would imagine that it inspired you and opened your eyes how much you love fashion, right? Yeah, that was, I mean, it, it really gave me a glimpse into what really the fashion industry looks like because I mean now that I'm in it it's obvious right but when I remember when I was in school and I was a kid um I had no clue I mean I didn't know, even know what a buyer was like I didn't know that was a role I just I don't know I didn't think how clothes got, got into a store you know there's a whole process behind it um editorial marketing I mean there's a whole industry it's a huge industry um that I to be honest was not very sure of what it consisted of Uh, and once I got that first job I got a a very like hands-on view into how the industry operates at least from a marketing and PR perspective Um, and then once I had the internship at Barney's I saw there was like a whole other world of merchants uh, buyers like the fashion directors like it's not just the dream that you see in movies and magazines. There's like really, it's a whole industry behind it. And it really opened my eyes to it. Um, and not only opened my eyes, but it opened a lot of doors. Uh, you know, like just being in the game and being able to network and uh, just start to create a contact and see how the industry works. Try, I mean, PR is not for me. I learned very early on. That's not really where I wanted to head. However, it really helps me like shape who I am and shape my career. For sure. You know, it's interesting. Where did you, did you grow up in Mexico, Fabricio? I don't think I've ever I did. I did. I did. I grew up uh, between Mexico City and Guadalajara. So it's funny you're saying this because it, I have exactly the same experience. I knew what, that I wanted to study fashion. I mean, I had no clue about anything about the of any careers. I thought there was only designers. I just had no clue. And then I started doing my first internship at Vogue and I started realizing there's a total different world out there that there's you know, content edit. Well, now there's content. There's editors, stylists. Um, in the in the your world of retail, which I moved in right after, visual merchandisers. You know, assistant buyers. But and if you're in Latin America, which we both were, there's no industry, right? And I mean, now there, it's so much has changed. But you know, there's not that many of those roles for for department stores. I mean, somewhat has changed, but not so much. And and I do feel I couldn't agree more that internships are the best eye opener to give you a networking to people because everyone moves around. Um, so that boss that is your boss then at that internship could be your boss at a future place. And then uh-huh. it could open your eyes to different jobs that you had not even an idea that it existed, you know, which is exactly what you're telling me. I mean, that's exactly what happened to me. I just had no clue about a lot of these jobs. Like it, I just, it just really was not in my world. Like I, you know, like I grew up in Guadalajara. It was before the, the age of like internet shopping, even, you know, like my, my access to fashion was so limited before I moved to New York. Um, and even in New York, I mean, 
it's not like you can just go and knock on the on the door at Vogue, for example. So it really opened my eyes to what the industry is. Um, and then also what I like and didn't like. I'm, I'm, again, like I knew very early on that PR really wasn't for me, but I still did the internships for like a good year, year and a half. And I obviously gave a good impression that they, like it was Barney's that approached me for that. Um, I mean, it was an assistant buyer role. It was very entry level, but still like they saw in me the potential in that world. And to be honest, I wasn't even considering uh, going into buying because at that point I still wanted to do uh, marketing and advertising, maybe maybe within the fashion industry, but um, not so much going into the merchant and buying world because again, I had no experience in that world and people go to school for it. I mean, there's, comp- there's courses in FIT and Parsons completely dedicating to buying and merchandising. So I learned all on the job. Um, I had no clue of like any of the metrics, the numbers, the a lot of even the concepts I learned on the job. But honestly, I had great mentors. I learned quickly. Uh, I put on a lot of hours because, you know, I was starting, I guess, behind because I didn't have the, the theory behind it. But it was great. I mean, I feel like my advice is like, if you like the field, just get into it on, in any capacity and you'll like work hard and you'll kind of like start finding your way. Um, it's paying your dues. It's like putting the, those, you said it right now, paying, you know, putting those extra hours. If people show up at nine, show up at 8.30, you know? I, oh, I can tell you like my, my whole time that I was working um, in those entry-level jobs, I mean, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I paid my dues. I, I was the first one in the office. I went on Sundays to do, um, the business reports, because that's when the the week, the fiscal weeks end. Uh, I would go on Sundays to make sure they were refreshed and they were ready to go Monday morning. Um, you know, I was the first one there, the last one to leave. I mean, some some of my PR internships, they were not very glamorous. Uh, they were, you know, like delivering samples back and forth. Uh, but again, you do get a glimpse into the industry. Yeah, we all did those internships. Uh, but I'm so happy I did. A hundred percent. Do you think um, living in New York while studying was a determining factor in launching your career in fashion? Uh, I mean, I think it it definitely helped. Uh, you know, like the, the fashion industry in New York is so huge. Um, however, I don't think it would have been a deterrent for me to be in a different city because, I mean, there is an industry, uh, especially nowadays in like Mexico City and like different cities in Latin America, in Europe. So maybe it's not to the level, like the scale that it is in New York, for example, or maybe Paris or Milan, but I guess there is an entryway now. But for me, definitely it was a a huge factor because it just gave me access to all these companies and all these people um, that I maybe I wouldn't have had uh, somewhere else. So you started 2010, let's go back on time, 2010, um assistant buyer for men's tailor at barney's you stayed there for how long i was at barney's totally for about four or five years uh and then i went to burgos i had multiple positions within barney's i started in men's tailored so suits basically uh, which i always say was the best school because it's a bit uh it's not as fast paced and there's a lot of of attention to fabrics and detail. It's all about construction and uh, it's not so much as fashion and trend driven. It's really about fabrics, construction, quality. So it's a great school to learn. And then at the same time, you learn the whole 
analytical part, uh, like the numbers, uh, the business side. I had great teachers, both in terms of like financials and on the fashion side. I mean, I remember having conversations with uh, Tom Calendarian, which was the head of Barney's Men's. He's like a living encyclopedia. You could ask him, I mean, not even ask him, you could mention, I don't know, socks, and he could go on for like two hours telling you the history of socks, the quality of socks, the history of socks at Barney's. Um, so, you know, like all those experiences are really invaluable. Um, and I really had that at Barney's. It was great. And then eventually I transitioned uh, into women's um, designer, uh, ready to wear. And I was there. I had a couple of positions there. Again, it's very different than it was really super fast paced, uh, you know, completely different product type because I went from buying suits to like buying like at the time I was buying Celine, The Row, uh, Balmain, like all those brands. So it was completely different product. Again, turns out that I just, I just had an, into, I mean, I was very good at the financials. I had very good teachers and I learned and I was able to do that. And then it turns out I had a really good eye for fashion and taste um, uh, and I was able to commercialize and really marry the two. And then from there, I moved on to Bergdorf's to do, again, uh, designer ready to wear as well. That's great. What do you think, you know, be working for, you know, for such prestigious stores, you know, that every designer dreams to be part of, you know, back then Barney's and still Bergdorf and, you know, Anetta Porte, which you are part of it now. Um, thousands of brands approach you, obviously, because... Everybody, I mean, if I would be a designer, I would love to be part of, you know, Bergdorf or Netta Porte, you know, or 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 many others in the, in that in that caliber, right? Um, what do you think is the best, the proper um, brand approach um, when they're pitching to you guys? You know, like because you're getting thousands of emails, right? I mean, yeah, you don't have I... to opening all of them, and you don't have time because you have to do day to day work you know like placing the orders of your of your of the brands that are that, that are part of you know the brands that you guys work with always right yeah uh so i get i get asked this question a lot so my number one thing is really as the either designer or business person at a brand really look at yourself critically and make sure you're ready You know, like, are you ready to approach this, this retailers? Like, do you have production capacity? Is like, be, be, be real. Like, is, are you, is your design and your quality up to par to this, uh, to the level of store that you're approaching? Like, is your price point the right price point for these brands? Is your product, like, do your research, go into the websites, go into the stores. Like, are you feeling a niche? Uh, or is there like, are there a hundred other brands already on the platform that have what you're offering? So really be introspective, you know, and look at yourself, remove the emotion and look at yourself um, really, um, you know, like with clear eyes and just like analyze what you're offering uh, and be ready. Once you want to reach out to these brands, you have to be ready because if they place an order and you're not able to deliver, I feel like that's the end of your relationship, you know? So in terms of approach, I mean, I've been contacted via Instagram, via email, like stopped in, uh, you know, like in Paris, in New York, uh, in, in showrooms. So there really is not the correct approach. Uh, there's not one correct, correct avenue, I would say. You know, you can partner with a showroom, with a, with a consultant. I feel like, again, you just need to do your research to see realistically where you want to sell and where you would, will be able to sell. Uh, I mean, email is probably the more, the most global approach because you can do it from everywhere. 
uh, I can tell you personally, I get so many emails, uh, not just from brands, it's like wanting to sell in the different places that I've worked in. Uh, but you know, like you get a myriad, like so many things. I mean, and I, I'll tell you, I've, I've gotten emails for sex toys, for example. So like, they clearly didn't do their research, you know, like I, we don't sell sex toys where I am, like, it's not the right retailer. So I feel like those right away, like, I mean, it's kind of like clear. I personally try to answer as many emails as I can when it's new brands, even if it's just to give feedback or like, uh, you know, like just uh, to keep the communication going. Um, I would recommend be concise. Uh, again, remember that, you know, like for you, it's your brand and you want to give as much information as you can. But remember that on the other side, the other person is probably getting hundreds and hundreds of emails. So they don't have the time to really read pages and pages of a bio. Like they need kind of like quickly, like, okay, who is this person? What are they doing? For me, I personally like when there's visuals because I can very clearly see like, oh, well, I love this. Or you know what? Like I've seen this before, or it's clearly a knockoff of something. Or it's completely innovative. Uh, at least just give you like a quick reference. Um, and I usually like when there's an image or two embedded in the email. So like, you don't even have to open an attachment. It just comes through. Um, and again, concise, concise, concise. I remember you gave us that advice when you did um, the webinar for us at the laughs showroom with new order. And I thought it was a wonderful advice. And I remember the brands reacted really well to it because, you know, yeah. the brand you would think, you know, let's put together the whole lookbook and the line sheet and a bio and let's be as organized as possible. When really the reality is you don't have time to look at a lot. So, you know, two images, yeah. a point, you know, like the elevator pitch kind of. Elevator pitch hundred percent. I mean, it's fine to include a lookbook or whatever, like it's totally fine, but a, make sure the attachment is not huge because a lot of times they don't even come through. <laughs> a lot of the corporate email settings, like they have a limit on how big the emails can be. So sometimes if they're too big, like they don't even make it to my inbox. And B, like, look, if, if the person, I mean, I can only speak to myself, but I assume most people kind of behave in this way. If they like the few images that they sent, they'll follow up like, oh, do you have a lookbook? Or do you have time to have quick chat? Or... I mean, nowadays, I feel like if you include your Instagram, that's usually the, even before I answer emails, sometimes that's usually the first place I go. Like, oh, like I like the the few pieces that I saw on the email. Let me take a look on the Instagram and then I just see, um, uh, you know, I can get a bit more information before even having to ask for anything. Sometimes I just do research. Like if I don't know the brand, I can Google and, uh, you know, like nowadays, like there's so much information out there. It's it's incredible how like your the Instagram now for you know if you're a brand it, that's your resume you know because it really is every buyer that that I've interviewed for you know podcasts or webinars they all say the same thing you know before they respond to that email they check your Instagram so I always tell the brands like to be really consistent guys like you know just because you pull through this one season they will go back to the season before and season before on your, on your Instagram, because they want to know that there has been consistency in a brand, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can tell you me, my, I'm, I like to see consistency with brands. Like it's very rare that I'll buy something completely new. Like if it's completely undiscovered and especially young, like I personally like to invest time and help the brand. Like, look, I see potential, but I don't think you're ready um, yet. Sometimes brands get frustrated, but later on in time, they tell me like, you know what? Like, I'm so happy you did this because you offered the mentorship and you helped. And, you know, like 
The same way I had no clue what the fashion industry consisted of before I joined, a lot of brands that are young, they don't understand the, the logistics behind uh, a lot of the things, production, shipping. Um, and sometimes like if they, if they move too quickly, uh, they fail because they, they're late, they can't produce, uh, they have like, uh, they have cash flow or like even design wise, like, uh, like I like to see consistency for a few seasons and then say like, okay, I feel like you're ready. And I really help. Like for me, it's not really about a one hit wonder. It's really about helping brands like position themselves and help them grow in a way that it's healthy and, and like profitable on the, on the both sides. So yeah, that's usually my approach. Uh, again, it's think, not written in stone. Yeah, that's why I think sometimes it's good for them to do the investment of, you know, there's a lot of things that they have to be doing. That's the reality. And it's, it, it, it is expensive. You know, it gets expensive because you have to be, you know, spending on a lot of things on a monthly basis. But I think sometimes that luxury consultant or that really key showroom could really yeah. help you with that, you know, with like the merchandising component, like, you know, designers need to understand that there's a merchandising aspect of how to yeah. merchandise a collection. So it's easier for you to go buy it, you know, so you could buy more SKUs, you know, you could go deeper into yeah, that. Once, like once you're, you're, you're selling at a certain level, and I mean more like volume, like a bigger scale, there's a whole process behind it uh, and logistics, like, and it's totally fine. I mean, it takes brands, years sometimes to like really kind of like hone in and and also as a brand you have to identify like if you're a young brand like it takes time to like really define your dna and like what you're good at um it's a lot of like experimenting and i agree i mean a lot of this like consultants you have to do your due diligence like make sure like who what contacts do they have what's their experience what they're good at uh is it a right fit for your brand because you know like yeah, what clients they work with, you know, to see like if they if your product is very contemporary and they only work with like really big luxury, they might not be at a, a good fit because they might not have the great exactly. yeah. contemporary department stores. Yeah, like you have to find uh, the right the right fits. Uh, you know, like you also have to do they have the right um, like uh, vision for your brand? Are you aligned? Uh, are they really giving you something that you need? So it's not about it's really collaboration. Like one person is not going to fix or make your business. Like you really have to work with them and find the right person. Again, I feel like not every person is like great for every brand, you know, like there's, there's, there's people that are amazing at certain things, but then they're not at others. Uh, Sometimes maybe a showroom is better. Sometimes like you maybe like some brands are great at doing it themselves. So like really there's no answer for everyone. I feel like you just have to be open and on exploring different avenues. Um, and you know what? Like, there's no wrong answer. I mean, be careful financially on where you invest your money. But everything really is a lesson at the end of the day. Like, uh, and I would tr- I would aim at trying to figure out as much as you can on your own, and then, but accept what you don't know as well, um, because then there's really. Um, there's a lot of value in bringing someone in that has the experience and the know-how. Totally. I always say like, make sure your mistakes cost you as least as possible. So hire less, you know, try to do as much as you can yourself because, you know, um, let's talk about one thing. A lot of the people listening to us right now are young brands. Um, Mm -hmm. as As a buyer, that you're, you know, I'm a young brand. I'm pitching you to any of the retailer stores that you work for. I'm still not a big brand. And 
do you think it's important for a brand to be showing a few seasons a year, like a big brand? Or do you think it's okay to just stick to two collections? The reason why I'm asking this is because it's extremely expensive. You know, they can't do resort and pre-collections. And are you expect, I mean, I, I would imagine you're not expecting to see this in a young brand, but you are expecting like, you know, if my goal is to get into, you know, at that point, Barney's, right? Or today, Matches or Net-A-Porte or, you know, any of these big brands. And I've been consistently approaching you. And do you want to see a consistency in every season? Or does it, or it doesn't bother you as a buyer that like, you know, for example, he's only designing once, you know, once a year. As a buyer. No, um, I mean, look, as an industry, I feel like there's still seasonality, right? Um, and that's, I mean, that's the way the industry works, at least for big retailers. Like we still have to work in, at least in spring and fall, you know, at least two seasons. And then we break it down in, in within, but forget that. I mean, there, there does need to be, I would say, at least two seasons a year. Uh, again, as a young, small brand, I feel like there's no expectation to present like pre-fall, high summer, like resorts, uh, spring, like all those different deliveries. I feel like forget about it. Just focus on two main deliveries and, and try to really under- understand the cadence of the market. Like if you're doing resort and swimwear is your strength like make sure you're you have like the deliveries either like just before the summer and throughout the summer like don't try you know ha- try to aim it that way like not really delivering like in, in the that of winter of course there's a customer that travels but like i would try to focus your collection towards that month or maybe heavier towards those deliveries so it's totally fine if you do in that example for example two seasons a year two deliveries a year and just skew it heavier towards the summer months that's totally fine i mean i can speak for myself personally like i want to see the industry also move forward into a different format i feel like it's a bit antiquated how it is at the moment so i'll support designers that have a bit of a a different approach that's totally fine and i feel like design you also again you have to experiment and learn what works for you so i think as long as you communicate and you really like share what you're learning with your key partners uh that's totally fine I would just suggest try to be as transparent as possible in terms of your structure and your plans. If you're showing in a different cadence than everyone else, just explain why, what's your thought process behind it and what's your strategy. And then each retailer will tell you like, oh, this works for us, this doesn't work for us, or maybe we need to work on on a special capsule to make sure we have product during this time of the year. Uh, But I'm totally up for like different ways of working. That's great. How do you think um, the fa- the Latin fashion industry has changed? You know, obviously, when you started at Barney's, I would imagine that you weren't being approached as much as today from Latin brands, right? How much? How, how do you think that has evolved? No, I feel like I feel like to be honest, there were I can think probably like so few um, in the U.S. You know, in like the mainstream markets. I mean, I don't know if there has been an explosion of Latin American designers or it's just more that there's more platforms or like social media and platforms like Laughs have really like giving them a louder voice. I don't know. I mean, it's, I really don't know, but definitely I'm seeing much more um, Latin designers. But also I have to say there's an appetite uh, for that product and that aesthetic uh, that again, I'm not sure if it existed at the time when I started. Um I feel like I'm definitely seeing the consumer really react to to those brands and the product that they're offering, so which is great to see. Any advice you would have for all those for all those Latin designers um, in our community? Yeah, I mean, I personally say 
like, look, I'm successful in what I do, and I'm very proud of being Mexican and having a, a Latin American background. However, it doesn't define me. Like, I'm I'm successful and I I'm good at what I do, regardless and in, and irrespective of my background. You know, like, it, I'm so proud of it, but it's not. It doesn't really define me professionally. Uh, and I usually say designers the same thing. Like, you should be super proud of where you're from and what you stand for. However, really do the best that you can in terms of your product. Uh, not because you're Latin American, your product has to be a certain um, a certain aesthetic. I feel like with our backgrounds and with our lifestyles and our climates, like, yeah, of course, there's a tendency to do a, a certain type of product well, because that's how we live and, and where we are. Um, however, like, I, I feel like it's... It, it shouldn't really define you. I feel like you should just be really strong at what and what you do and you'll be recognized for it um, regardless of where you're from. You know, that's an excellent advice to try to end. I'm just going to give you one more question, but I think that's that's great what you said and I couldn't agree more. Anything that you do, any any project that you have in your life, I think you should see it as a global thing, you know? Like I always say like start small, think really big, like dream mm-hmm. really big. Um also but extremely being extremely proud of of who you are and where you're coming from and and you know, if you, if you, obviously in the case of a lot of designers in Latin America that work with communities of artisans, you know, use your platform to give them a voice as well, you know? A hundred percent, a hundred, a hundred percent. And look, I, I love working with those communities and those artisans. Um, and I, I mean, I'm the first one to say like, oh, I'm Mexican. And and uh, I'm really, I think, one of the only ones in the positions that I've had really like with my background. But again, it's always like, I'm not a buyer for Latin America, for example, like I'm a, I'm a global um I have a global perspective and my a global expertise is not really on a segment. Uh, again, I mean, you might be dedicated to a certain niche, which is totally fine. Um, I just say like, I don't, I don't like to give blanket statements like, Oh, you're Latin American designer. Like you should be doing this. I feel okay. like, no, uh, yes, you're Latin America, but just because you're Latin America, I mean, we tend to be really strong at swimwear and resort wear because again, that's our climate and our aesthetic and, and, you know, like, we're Latin, like we're, we're, it's kind of like it's in our culture. However, it doesn't mean that all Latin designers need to be doing um, swimwear and resort. Like there's really good designers that do things completely outside of that realm. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's, I'm happy that now we're finally seeing like, you know, great brands coming out of home, you know, which mm-hmm. incredible how strong we are in home. But yes, I agree. Like, you know, you should stick to what you said earlier, like your brand DNA, you know, and be, you know. Be consistent. Yeah, what, what are you good at? And there's amazing talent in, in both creative talent, um, like business talent, artisan talent. Like there's so much amazing talent um, in Latin America. I mean, I've, I've, exp- I've had the opportunity to explore a lot, mostly in Mexico, um, artisan communities and speaking with creatives. And there's really so much uh, and so much opportunity uh, that can translate into so many different things. So I feel like it's only going to keep getting bigger and bigger, um, kind of like the products coming out from our countries to the world. Uh, I feel like it's only going to keep getting bigger and bigger. You'll see um, all the talent. You're going to be blown away. All the talent that we'll show you guys um, in March. It's going to be amazing. I Um, can't wait to see. I'm always so excited to discover. Then um, I like to finalize every podcast with the same question for everyone, which is, what is your why? Like, I'll tell you what my why is so that you think about it. My why is connecting. I like, I, I believe that I'm here 
connecting people, connecting businesses. That's what inspires me every day when I wake up every morning. What do you think is your I could give you a list, but I would probably say like, like creativity and talents. Like I love seeing products uh, and I love the business side um, of, of what I do. But really what I love is connecting that creativity and that product and that innovation, like whatever it may be, and finding a way to commercialize it. Like really marrying those two worlds that sometimes are very like the right and the left brain. Um, that's really what I've learned that I love doing. And then the people, I love meeting the people, like the designers, the business people, the, you know, the models, the just, there's amazing talent in our industry and like really eclectic people that with really interesting stories that once you start talking to them, um, you really are like, wow, like you're amazing. I love that. It's a hard question to answer, but I feel like that's probably my biggest why. That's great. Fabricio, it's always wonderful talking to you. Thanks so much for giving us your time. And I'm excited to see you in March. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see you in Miami. We hope that you have enjoyed this conversation. You can email us your suggestions on who you would like to hear in our next episode. If you like this chapter, don't forget to leave a comment or rank this podcast. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Latin American Fashion Summit and on Tribu by Laughs, a new platform that will revolutionize the way in which the fashion industry connects. Thanks for tuning in onto the Laughs Podcast.